0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Good morning. We're um, we're working our way through the Partners in Harvest Catch the Fire fire values that are on this banner over to your left. Uh, F-I-R-E, F for the Father's heart that we've been thinking about the last two or three weeks, and uh, I, we've been looking at last week, and again this week, Uh, so we're looking at intimacy. So Nathan's gone to the back, don't need it at the back till right towards the end, so if you want to sit with your wife for now, I realized I'd asked him if to go to the back to help me with a demonstration or something, I realized he's obediently gone right, and it's right the last thing I want to do, so if you want to carry on sitting with your wife, and nobody's noticed, so you're absolutely fine. So uh, last week, Nathan, who's just coming back to his chair from having a nice little stretch of the legs around the church, um, introduced the theme of intimacy, and I'm going to pick up on that this week. I want to have a little look um, in Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to read quite a few verses in Exodus 33, so if you want to turn your Bible on and get that ready, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, but just before we read that, I just want to share one or two quick thoughts about Intimacy we're created for intimacy. That's that's the bottom line. We are created for intimacy. And and the reason is that we are created in the image of God. And our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A triune God is a theological phrase. The Trinity in perfect unity. That that is the, the, the perfect model of intimacy. If you want to know what intimacy is, you look at the Godhead. And and we have a God that is three but one and inextricably linked, and you cannot describe it because they're so intricately linked. And and no one's ever successfully worked out a way of describing how these three interlink. But all three are God, but there is only one God, and God is three. (laughs) So that's just to confuse you. But it's perfect intimacy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as one. And we are created in the image of God. And if our God is a relational trinity, that means we're created for intimate relationship. That is what our purpose in existence is. Primarily to relate to God, but also to relate to one another. That is our purpose in existence. That's why God created us, because my Bible says God is love. And out of his nature of being love he wants to just exude love he needs he needs something to lavish that love upon and he loved creation when he made this entire universe at the end of each day on the first 5 days of creation if you read the narratives it says at the end of each day he looked at what he'd made and said it is good But nothing was able to reciprocate his love. He was able to look at it and able to love it, but it wasn't able to reciprocate his love. And so the pinnacle of creation came on the sixth day when God created humankind in his own image, in the image of the one who is love, in the image of the one who is created as the perfect, intimate, relational being. That's who we are created to be like. And when he created mankind on the end of the sixth day of creation, he looked at what is made and he said, it is very good. Because we're made in the image of God. The fall is what separated us from that place of intimacy with God. We were designed and created to be in intimate union with him, but the fall separated us from that place because mankind had an inherent desire for a relationship without dependency. And in intimate relationships, there's a dependency, not codependency. That's a psychological kind of thing that we can look at and unpack another time if you want to. That's a different thing, that's an unhealthy relationship where you're deriving a need by being dependent on somebody else. But actually, we are created to be dependent. And people have a misunderstanding of maturity. They think independence means that you don't need anybody else. That is wrong. We are created as interdependent beings. And mankind believed a lie that knowledge equaled maturity. And in the West, the so-called enlightened world, we have held on to that truth for way too long. Knowledge does not equal maturity. Knowledge equals power, and power corrupts. And what's happened is mankind has settled for knowledge about rather than intimacy with. I have the privilege of studying theology for many, many years. I'm highly qualified in theology. I have a lot of of theological knowledge. But you give me the choice of just eradicating from my brain every single grain of theological knowledge and learning I've ever had for one second in his presence. I know what I would choose. We created for intimacy. And in the Old Testament, the temple is the blueprint for a restored relationship with God. It was never about these religious practices. That's not what the temple was for. The religious practices were to demonstrate to fallen humanity that actually the presence of God is so pure, so holy, that you cannot wander in there carrying the sin of the world with you. You have to deal with your sin before you come into the presence of God. Otherwise, you will be consumed. And God so loved us that firstly, he created a temple blueprint, or even a blueprint, a temple blueprint for us to show how we could get close. But even that was insufficient because there was only the high priest that could go into the most holy place and even him only one time a year. That is not God's desire for us. It was a blueprint for what he had planned and Jesus was never plan B. He was always part of the plan. Everything in the Old Testament, every single word of it points to Jesus. And the plan, the blueprint was there, demonstrating what Jesus ultimately would do to enable us to come into a place of intimacy. Exodus 19.6 says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the heart of God's desire. That his people would be a kingdom of priests. Not that there would just be a few who were able to draw near, but the whole of those in his household would come close. That has always been the plan of the Father, because he created us for intimacy. That by way of introduction. Let's take a look at uh, Exodus chapter 33. Where are we starting, Ross? Verse 7. Verse 7. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it up outside the camps some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went to the tent, all of the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. This is about accountability. We need to be holding each other accountable. Are you spending time with the Lord in your private tent of meeting? Are you going to that place where you're meeting with God? As Moses went out to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their own tent. That, by the way, is what we just did before I got up to speak. Interceding for the leader. What we've just done is an incredibly powerful prophetic sign of what this is talking about. The people of Israel saw the one that God had called to lead them going into the place where he was going to be alone with the Lord to seek the face of God, and everybody else said, we are going to intercede, we are going to pray for that man while he is seeking God. That's what we've just done. And that's, that's the church coming together in unity. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to his camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, I love this, just as I was chatting, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not told me whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I want to suggest to you that most church leaders pray a prayer very similar to that on a regular basis. God, these are your people. These are your people. And and you say that you're pleased with me as a leader. I need to know it. We as a church need to know your favor, God. Show us your mercy, show us your favor. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses got a bit cheeky with God and he said, verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Don't let us leave this place, Lord, without your presence. Don't let us leave this school hall without your presence. How, verse 16, will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us from the people all over the earth? What a great question. What a great question. Because I tell you, this world is filled with beautiful people. This town is filled with lovely people. This town is filled with people that are so kind. And despite what you may read in the newspapers, people are generally incredibly kind. People are wonderful. Any crisis moment brings out the best in people. It brings out who they really are. Yeah, they get stressed and we get road rage and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and stuff happens. But at the core of their being... Most people are incredibly nice. What distinguishes us from them? Unless the presence of God goes with us, unless his presence goes with us, what is the point of all of this? And Moses, the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses got a little bit more cheeky. Now, show me your glory. The Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face. Even though a few verses earlier it said the Lord spoke to him face to face as a man speaks with his friend. We'll talk about that another time. Then the Lord said, there's a place near here where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you may see my back, but my face must not be seen. We are created for intimacy with God. That is the purpose of our Existence. And I just love that bold request of Moses. If your presence does not go with us, how will anyone distinguish us from anyone else on earth? That is my daily prayer for us as a church. I want people to look at us and be so amazed that they say, well, that has to be God. It cannot be them. Because I know them. That's what I want. I want the presence to be so incredible that people say, it's got to be from somewhere else. It can't be that you've created the right atmosphere in your new building with comfortable chairs. Please, Lord. (coughs) With lights that work. Please, Lord. With sound that doesn't sound like a gym. Did you hear that echo? You know, it can't be that we just create the most beautiful worship space. Yes, let's do that. But what we don't want is people saying, oh, well, yes, they're an amazing church because they've got great lights. And their car park is so big. And the coffee. It was pretty good today, well done, Amy. Coffee is the best in town. If that's our aim, to get the nicest car park, the best lights, and the best coffee in town, go to Starbucks. (laughs) They do it better. Despite their logo. (laughs) I won't unpack that one. It needs to be something more. It's got to be something more. I didn't give my life to creating a nice atmosphere and entertaining a crowd. I could have stayed as a DJ if I wanted to do that. <laughs> Paid better as well. <laughs> and I could get a lion on a Sunday morning. It's got to be about the presence. It's got to be about the presence. And the presence has to be not that we become weird. Have you seen those weird Christians? You know, sometimes when Holy Spirit comes upon people, they do things because actually the presence of God is so profound, they can't help themselves. That's OK. But they don't need to be weird the rest of the time. <laughs> Being weird is not compulsory when you give your heart to Jesus. It's about the presence. It's not about what you've experienced. it's not about what you know. that is not what will mark you out. It is the abiding presence of God that will mark you out as being different. It's also excuse me, it's also the, the abiding presence of God that will convict you. Yes so many Christians say, "I really don't know what the truth is anymore." I can tell you you can never ever say that when you're in the presence of God. His presence brings revelation, it brings conviction, it brings truth. It guides. Lord, just show me what to do. Get in his presence. It is the abiding presence of God that will enable you to minister in the power of the Spirit. I want to see more healings and miracles and signs and wonders. We've seen a few. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. But we're not seeing them every week. I want to see people healed in this place every single time we gather. I want to put the local funeral directors out of business because so many people are raised from the dead. It is perfectly possible, by the way, to have a knowledge of God without intimacy with Him. It's called religion. If that's what you want, God bless you. Go find it. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jesus came to demonstrate what intimacy with the Father actually looks like. That's why at his resurrection, the veil, his death, sorry, the, the veil was torn in two. That is why the, the entrance place into the most intimate place of intimacy with God, of, of encounter with God was opened up at his death. It's also why 70 years later, the temple building was completely destroyed. Let me explain what I mean. When Jesus died, the, the curtain was ripped. And when we say curtain, it's not like one of these curtains over here. Even I could pull those down. And I nearly did pull that one down before the service with help. (laughs) Imagine a really thick rug hanging from the ceiling. That's more like what we're talking about. Heavy, heavy, heavy. You couldn't rip it. There's not a man alive that's got the strength to rip it. But when Jesus died and the earth was shaken, that thing was torn from top to bottom. Why does the Bible include that detail? It was at heaven's initiative. It was torn from the top down, ripped open by heaven, saying there's not now to be anything that separates my people that I created for intimacy from coming into my presence. Nothing should stop them because the sacrifice has now been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And throughout the Old Testament, we saw that the sacrifices needed to be made. But between making the sacrifice and getting to the entrance of the Holy of Holies, you sin again. And the sacrifice was insufficient. But now, now because of the blood of Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the sacrifice is sufficient for my sin and your sin and the sin of the entire world. But after Jesus was raised from the dead and after he'd gone back and was glorified in heaven, what do you think happened in the temple? They sewed it back up. They restored that curtain that had been ripped open. They restored it. They thought it was sacrilegious that the thing had been ripped apart. So they sewed it back together. It is exactly what David was talking about earlier, the make, do, and mend mentality. They could not see what God was doing. And so in the end, God had to see that the temple was completely destroyed. Praise God we don't have a temple. Oh, but we do. We've created a Christian temple, and we go to it for two hours every Sunday. God is not looking for religion. He's looking for relationship. He says to you, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to carry my presence. I want you to carry my presence. You know by now that John chapter 1, verse 32 is my favorite verse of scripture, one of them. But Jesus is baptized and we're told that Holy Spirit descends like a dove and remains on him. All the other Gospels say that the Holy Spirit descended upon him, but John says remained upon him. The reason is that John's Gospel is about focusing on the Holy Spirit. And it remains upon him. And I've often given this illustration. If you imagine, I want to kind of keep this Bible on my head. The last time I did this, Nathan took a picture and it ended up on social media. i was making sure he hasn't got a camera out and then we're fine. You'll notice that when I put this on my head, my posture has changed. It's perfectly possible for me to carry on the rest of this sermon, which could be very long, <laughs> with a Bible on my head. If I maintain, oh, Lydia, put your camera away. If I maintain the right posture, if my posture is always with this in mind, if my posture is always with keeping that on my head in mind, the moment I forget about it, it slips. The same with the presence of God if I want to carry the anointed presence of God, if I want to carry the power of Holy Spirit into my workplace tomorrow morning, if I want to carry it into my home this afternoon, if I want to carry it to my family when I meet with them later this week, if I want to carry it on the bus, on the tube, on the train, if I want to carry it into the supermarket, every single thing I do, I need to be posturing myself to make sure that I consistently carry the presence of God, which is transforming power at work in the ordinary every day. We need to be choosing to posture ourselves. Because it is about intimacy. It is about the presence. It is about the presence. I want to talk to you for a moment, just as Nathan wanders towards the back of the church, about the prodigal son. And we we know this story so well. We know that the son wanted to return to the father we know that he came back because actually he got nowhere else to go. He knew that the father was his father. He knew who the father was, but he was afraid to go back. He was afraid because he was aware of his own sin. He was aware of what he had done wrong. He was aware of the kindness of his father, but he was also aware of his own sin, and he saw a huge contrast. Please understand This is a story about someone who knew the Father. This is not a story about the people that don't yet know Jesus. This is a story about someone who knew the Father. We always apply this story to people that are not yet Christians. Yes, it has an application to them, but this guy knew the Father. He chose, even knowing the Father, to do things which were not in the will of the Father. In other words, this is a story to us. And there was such a stark contrast between the goodness of the Father and the sin of the Son. And sometimes our sin causes us to be afraid of the Father. But the tragedy is sometimes we only turn back to Him when we realize we've got nowhere else to go. We try everything else first. We turn to our friends. And yes, God can use our friends. Thank God for good friends. And we turn to our family. And yes, our families are fantastic. Thank God for family. Maybe we turn to other things. We turn to drink. We turn to money. We turn to work. We turn to religion. And sadly, it's only when we've tried every single one of those other things that we eventually turn back to God where we should have turned in the first place but the son never has need to be afraid of the father because when the father looks he does not see the sin he sees the son and father knows it's only wounded people that wound others the father knew it was out of a wounded heart that the son acted the way he did and because the son lived in separation from the father he thought he understood maturity I want to go off and do my own thing. But actually what he was choosing to do was live as an orphan. He lived in separation from the Father. This is someone who knew the Father. He chose to live in separation. But the Father did not condemn. He embraced, he forgave, and he lavished love. And I believe for what God is wanting to do in our church and in this nation, church, we need a fresh revelation of the Father's heart. We need a fresh revelation of his love. But you cannot have that revelation from a distance. Nathan, just want you to know, I absolutely love you. just want to show you right now how much I love you. those of you listening on the recording, I'm waving at Nathan across the building. Just really want you to know, you know, I want you to feel the warmth of my love for you. I want you to know how precious you are. So good to be in this really intimate dialogue with you. Nathan, I wonder if we could talk about your deepest sin right now. I know there's a lot of people listening and there's a lot of people watching, but thought it'd be good just uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, Yeah, you can hear me. Thought it'd be really good to talk about, you know, your deepest, darkest sin right now. (laughs) Is that the actions of a loving father? God does not humiliate. God does not condemn. God doesn't keep us at a distance waits and he waits and he waits until we're ready to come until we suddenly realise we need to run into the arms of the Father are <laughs> you feeling uncomfortable yet? yeah me too the father didn't just tell him he loved him he showed him he hugged him he kissed him he put a ring on him he put a robe on him we didn't go that far you can't know intimacy from a distance church you can't know his presence from a distance have you got an orphan mindset Do you feel like God will condemn you if he knew, if you confessed? Do you feel like God is a long way away? If you feel like God is a long way away, ask yourself, which one moved? Because it sure wasn't him. It's not enough to know God. You need to feel his embrace. Moses every day went to a tent of meeting. He set it up outside of the camp. He found a place where he would not be distracted. And he went there and he got people to say, I'm going to hold you accountable to make sure you do it. He got people to say, I'm going to pray for you. Every time you go into that encounter with God, I'm going to pray for you to help you to make sure that the presence of God comes and guards the entrance to your tent of meeting so that nothing will come as a distraction, that the cloud of the pillar of the presence of God will come down in that place when you are in intimate union with God so that nothing will be a distraction, so that nothing can come against you when you're in that place, so that you will hear the voice of God, you will meet with God face to face, you will hear him say, my child, I love you, let me feel you in an embrace, let me feel, let you feel the the breath of your father on the top of your head as he holds you in that intimate embrace, let you know the security of the father's embrace, and then when he tells you he loves you, he will say to you, let's talk about what we're going to do together during this day, when you go out of this tent of meeting, so that you You will carry this presence with you so that those around you will see what you carry and they will say, Surely this one with an unveiled face has been in the presence of God because I can see the glory of the Lord in their face. That's how I want to live. And friends, that is what we're called to. I'm trusting God for a beautiful new building with comfortable chairs, decent lighting, and a nice car park and great coffee. But if that's all we're going to get, I'm not interested. God will give us all that. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Are you ready to seek the kingdom? Are you ready for intimacy with the king? Are you ready to say, let's just go for it Let's say, Lord, we want your presence. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to say, nothing else will do. I will not settle for second best. I'm sick and tired of settling for second best. If that is you, will you stand with me? Holy Spirit, will you come? We invite you. We invite you to presence yourself here. As we worship you, and in these next few moments, as we draw towards a close this morning, we're asking, Lord, that you would accept our response to who you are. We simply want to tell you afresh how much we love you, Lord. We want to say, Father, thank you. Thank you that you created humankind for intimacy with you. Thank you that you created us to be in your image as relational beings. Thank you that you went to such extraordinary lengths to open up the way for us to come into your presence. And we say, Lord, as we respond to you over these next few minutes, would you come? Would you make your presence felt in this place? Because we love you, Lord, we welcome you, and we worship you in the beautiful name of Jesus and the people of God said...